0: Welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the promisingly young, apparently hip, and recklessly lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I am Ashley McKinless, and I am joined by Zach Davis. Hello. And Olga Segura. Hey, guys. How are you guys doing?
1: I'm about to be better as soon as we <laughs> open <SBS. laughs>
0: What's on tap, Zach?
1: Well, to uh bring us back to the college days since today we are talking uh about dating and college hookup culture and such, we got the uh Ashley, you picked it out yes so I did.
0: the official beer of my my college <laughs> years at least, uh which is natty light um the finest yeah
1: watered down I've
0: never really had it outside of a solo cup like it's usually just sitting on a ping pong table with like a dirty ping pong ball in it and I just like I've <laughs> I've, n- I've never had
2: it guys this is my you put pl- wait
1: Did you play beer pong with beer in the cups
2: yeah how did you play beer pong? with
1: water cuz yeah. that's disgusting
2: oh you mean like you didn't you actually put water drink, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Y- you would yeah I mean anyway. I think
2: I've done both <laughs> anyways
1: anyway ready oh god it's everywhere <laughs>
2: wow I'm transported back to college perfect (laughs) oh my god I really am by the smell (laughs) oh my
0: gosh uh so uh Olga who are we talking to about college hookup culture
2: so the idea for this episode and just bringing on this guest kind of started a while back when we got an email from one of our listeners Creed Caldwell who talked about how he was in having a conversation with one of his married friends who asked him after he ended a long-term relationship how does a Catholic person meet someone and he couldn't He couldn't answer his friend, So he sent us an email and was wondering what our take was. So instead of trying to pretend to be experts, Creed, and all of the other emails who have wondered how to Catholic date, we decided to bring in Carrie Cronin, who's a professor at Boston College who teaches her students, among other things, about the pitfalls of hookup culture and the do's and don'ts of Catholic dating.
0: Excellent. Um
2: so you guys, I forgot how good that like tasted. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this wait. Is excellent. So, we're drinking college beer. We're talking <laughs> about dating in college. Do you guys look back at college dates fondly or I think I had like one real date in college. Yeah, I think I I mean, I, had I one did not two. I never
0: had a serious boyfriend. I dabbled in hookup culture. <laughs> <laughs> you dabbled. Okay. <laughs> and Yeah. And I would say not of my reluctantly dabbled. Like I it was always like, okay, I'm going to make out with this guy and then he's going to be my boyfriend. And it never worked (laughs) out. It wasn't like I like wanted to go
2: in. No strings attached. I was just naive. Well, so. actually, I was as naive as you were. I entered college in with a high school boyfriend, and then we broke up. And then I also dabbled in hookup culture, but I was a failure.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I started this I, term. I, I was a, I was a complete <laughs> failure
2: because I literally went into it thinking like, okay, so we're gonna get married. Yes. Like, there's no choice. Like, we talked at a bar. You bought me a beer. We're gonna get married. But apparently, that's not how it works. So that was really awkward for me. And that's uh, gonna like, did you, put us uh, to shame. Of course. <laughs>
1: well, for, did you in your high school boyfriend last through Thanksgiving?
2: Oh, well, we lasted Thanksgiving massacre. (laughs) Well, we lasted until sophomore year of college. So we lasted a long time. May have passed
1: the turkey drop. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just wanted to get that in.
2: But what about you, Zach?
1: I don't know. I feel like I was in a maybe a bubble, but like I have good memories of dating, not only like my own dating life, but like I felt like I was surrounded by uh, a lot of friends who were in very healthy relationships with significant others and like other couples and were. I don't know, maybe, but I mean, not that I was like oblivious to all the other things, right? Like it was still college and it was all still happening, but I had like a lot of positive examples around me that did not give me the doom and gloom that a lot of studies have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, now let's move on to Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach?
1: Our first story is... uh, for all you people eating gluten-free things,
2: celiac. That. Yes, also known as. Uh,
1: I'm sure you saw a lot of Twitter going around about the Vatican saying no gluten-free hosts. Um, me and Vatican. Me and Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it was like the these are new rules, um, and so actually one of our interns, Emma Winters, who is uh, in the here in the studio with us
0: a BC student.
1: Yes, a BC student wrote uh, a little explainer to see if these were new, what was new, and basically there's nothing new.
0: So, once again, the secular media
1: <laughs> got it wrong. However, like if the Vatican was like better at PR, they could have really gotten in front of this and they it's written in such a way that it, it's tough to sift through, but they're actually like basically allowing gluten-free hosts.
0: Can you explain the difference between gluten-free and low gluten?
1: So, basically for something to be gluten-free, according to the FDA, it has to have fewer than 20 parts per million, um, which is also what a lot of the glu- gluten-free. That's the um, also the minimum required by the Vatican. It has to have about 20 parts per million um, in order for it to be legitimate materials to be used for sacraments.
0: Okay, so I and mean, why does the Vatican nitpick about this? Well,
1: a lot of people don't understand, but like the Eucharist is central to a lot of, it's the source and summit of the faith, right? According to Vatican II, um, and so the materials that are used for that are super important.
0: Yeah, it's a sacrament. And if it's a rice cracker, it's not the body of Christ.
1: No, devil's advocate. Why not use a cheese it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? That would taste way better than.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's how we get people back to mass.
1: Right, cheese its it? So. <laughs> For a lot of people with celiac and high gluten insensitivities, even 20 parts per million can be harmful in the long term. So in that instance, maybe this is you or someone you know, uh, receiving from the chalice, just receiving the the wine is totally legitimate. You're still getting Jesus. All You're still getting all Jesus. You're not missing out on half of it. But if you're worried about cross-contamination or something, it's. I think all you have to do is just ask your pastor to not cross contaminate.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of grains that are trying to kill people, have you guys ever had Stroza predi? No. No, I have not. <laughs> okay. Well, it literally means um, priest strangler. And it's this type of pasta that they make in central Italy. And it has its roots in the 1600s when the Papal States ruled that area and priests were seen as like gluttonous, rich uh, rulers. Uh, so when they would come to town, the women making the pasta would make these these little pastas that look like like nooses. They're like twisted. Um and they would put curses into them so that when they fed it to the priests they would choke.
1: Wait,
2: they would put curses into them?
0: Yeah.
1: Don't get me started. What?
0: like <laughs> I'm just going by the New York Post. <laughs> they had an article on July tenth that said this pasta was invented to kill Catholic priests and it seems legit. I, I
2: mean the I knew I Post. just <laughs> by looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe is it like the anniversary of this pasta or something what what is the i think
0: one of their uh reporters probably just went on vacation in central italy and had
2: <laughs> here's this really cool story about priest strangling pasta okay yeah so
0: yeah so be careful if you're eating strozzapreti; it might still have some lingering voodoo on it <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
1: all right ashley what's our next story
0: um so the late night Season just wrapped up, and so the ratings are out, and Stephen Colbert came out on top. woo Very exciting. But, interestingly, the top three, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, are all Catholics. So, dominating late-night comedy right now.
1: Colbert is definitely the only one who can, like, talk yeah, about that. Yeah, and that's...
0: So there, there was an article in The Week that said, is God boosting Stephen Colbert's rating? So was, instead of the the Colbert bump, uh, Colbert is getting the God bump. And it's all, it's all speculation. But... The point of this article is that Stephen Colbert really is the only one who talks very openly about his faith, asks his guests about his faith, will debate atheists about the existence of God on his show. And in a country where 75% of people identify as religious or Christian, maybe maybe that can explain his
2: high ratings. What do you guys think?
1: I think he needs a Jesuitical bump. That's true. All right, Olga, what's the next story?
2: So last week, the National Black Catholic Congress met in Orlando, and during one of its sessions over... 120 participants met with bishops, priests, uh, men and women religious to talk about a lot of the issues that black Catholics are facing in this country. So some of the questions that were raised were, how is the black Catholic community expected to respond, especially especially in light of the Black Lives Matter movement when the church stays silent during police killings of black and brown Americans? And what should the Catholic overall Catholic response be to issues of race and the current state of race in this country? So it was a pretty... It was a very timely kind of conversation, and it really seemed like the bishops and priests and everyone was really listening to them. um, Bishop Ferdinand Cherie of New Orleans even stood up and apologized as a member of the church and sort of said that, you know, we haven't done enough. And part of the reason that we haven't done enough is because we don't really understand a lot of the, the issues. So we don't necessarily know how to get involved. And I think that's a feeling that a lot of people feel when it comes to talking about race, whether you're someone within the church or outside of the church.
1: Yeah, and it's it's tough cuz it, it, I think the church is just now like r- sort of recognizing the Black Lives Matter movement and they're going to have to play catch up, I think.
0: And I think um one reason for uh the church not immediately like coming out in support of Black Lives Matter is because there are there there are some tensions. Black Lives Matter in their manifesto um they're they're for reproductive rights with which the church is you know finds problematic uh their stance on lgbt issues is not in line with church teaching so i think it it, it's not surprising that the church was you know cautious about the movement which is not to say that you know we the church works with plenty of entities that they have disagreements with so that's
2: not saying that it's not possible but i think that's one reason behind like the reticence right and i think that's totally valid like you know you have to be in line with Catholic teaching and they're not, bishops, priests. They're not going to turn away from what they know and what they believe in. But the movement couldn't wait. I think the frustration that I've seen with a lot of the black Catholics that I've spoken with, and a lot of people within the movement, is that there are definite clear ways that the church can get involved. Like, for example, if you see people getting gunned down or you, or you see that, you know, black girls in school are suspended at higher rates than any other ethnicity, like these are. These are ways that the church can be involved. You know, it doesn't have to just be like, okay, they're saying this about reproductive rights. Like you could totally because these are other pro-life issues that a lot of the people within the movement think you know, we need faith leaders here. There's no civil rights movement that has succeeded without some kind of church presence. We just,
0: we just published a great article by uh, Nicole Flores, who's a professor at the University of Virginia, where just last weekend, the KKK rallied um, to protest the taking down of a statue of General Robert E. Lee. Um, and she was surprised that, to receive an email from her parish to say we're going to have a prayer vigil for this, like we're going to come together as a community, we're going to pray while the day that this happens. Um, and the presider said, while we're all here, like you should, like we invite you to confess the times that you have um, uh, fallen into or you've committed racist acts. And they actually had like confessionals set up for people to come and confess their the sin of racism. Um, so that's that's not as you know, public, but it is something that the church is doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, one church is doing. It. Yeah. <laughs> Which is still a sign of hope. No, I'm just
0: saying, yeah, yeah there are ways to engage um, that the church already is engaging. I'm not saying that's enough.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a first step, you know, just getting a bunch of Catholics and or just other Christians to have this conversation. And it's especially timely because the Black Lives Matter anniversary is July 13th. And to know that, the Catholic community is being involved in this dialogue, is very hopeful and very welcome.
0: All right, we are now joined by Carrie Cronin. She's a philosophy professor at Boston College and she teaches her students um, about the pitfalls of the hookup culture and the do's and don'ts of dating. Um, for young adults.
1: Among other things I'm Among, assuming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope I teach them other things. Too, but okay. <laughs> we we I, I pitched you on Twitter as a Catholic dating expert.
3: Zach, people who I've dated might actually contradict that, but that's
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you became a Catholic dating expert. Um, by going around B.C. and asking people about their dating lives. Is that right?
3: No,
1: it's kind of weird. It, it, so there's that uh, U.S. Catholic profile on you, and it kind of makes you sound a little crazy. Uh, it just yes. says, I would just walk around campus, and I would stop people and say, hey, are you part of the hookup culture? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I know, I kind of, there have been days when I wondered, like, will I get fired for this? But I haven't yet. So uh, so what prompted it, you uh, to start asking that? Well, you know, I I, uh, I speak about this on campuses, and I, I often tell the story of um, students that I talked to years ago. Gosh, it was now like a dozen years ago. Um, I had a conversation with some students, and I was asking them about, they were seniors, and I was asking them about... Um, dating of you know sort of if they were going to break up with people when they graduated what was going on how their dating had gone at BC I mean it was after we had talked about other things right like are you going to grad school are you going to work what are you doing and and there was just crickets there there was no response and so I thought what the heck's going on and eventually we started they just started informing me about the intricacies of hookup culture and I thought what the heck is going on this is crazy (laughs) So then I just, that's when I started walking around campus just asking people, what, what are you doing? And, and then, uh, and found out that a lot of, a lot of college students really wanted to talk about it a lot.
2: Right. So how would you define, how would you define hookup culture?
3: Well, let me define what I think hooking up is, because I offer this to students, you know, when I, when I speak to students about it and I ask them to help me shift this definition or whatever. I think it's, you know, a physical or sexual interaction with no perceived intention of a follow-up and no perceived emotional content. And, and so, you know, that physical contact, it can, be, it can be anything. You know, it can be just sort of floppy making out to having sex. To, you know, to whatever, but the perceived, uh, the perception that there's no emotional content and that there's no implied follow-up is really key. You know, hookup culture seems like it's the, the ultimate casual thing, but it's really got a lot of rules. And one of the rules is that you, you're not supposed to talk about it while it's happening. You're supposed to just be able to not be awkward and just sort of let it roll. And so nobody actually knows what, so that's why I say there's no perceived emotional content or implication of a follow-up because you don't know. Like, you're just assuming that because that's sort of part of how it goes. But, of course, as I say to young adults, not only do you not know what's going on in the mind and heart of the other person, you also mostly don't know what's going on in your own mind or heart about it because, because that's part of the culture, right, of it, that you're supposed to just sort of not pay much attention to it
0: does that have to be on on both sides
3: is it different for women
0: and men and can it Ah, still be a hookup if there are different expectations
3: here's the thing on the one hand you know lots of lots of students tell me well hookup culture is and can be as casual and easygoing as as you want it to be Um, but what I the unfortunate thing is that most of the students I talk to Really, end up feeling kind of lonely and alone in the midst of so much connection to people through social media and so many friends and all this. There's kind of this loneliness that you end up feeling when you're you're hooking up with people because you you sort of get right the 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 ego boost from it that that's got a shelf life of maybe you know forty eight hours and you you feeling like, yeah, that was good <laughs> and, and for <laughs> lots of different reasons right but then after a couple of days, you're thinking wow, that person never,
0: Why didn't he text me?
3: Texted me or <laughs> Yeah, why are they texting? Like, and then you can't because then you look needy or kind of desperate and you know, you're supposed to just be kind of above it all. And of course, like the principle of least interest is at work here, so the person who cares the least wins. I really actually think f- for a lot of people, both men and women, it's it's really painful and confusing and lonely you're supposed to sort of be ultra cool and not have any feelings until somebody else you know it's like somebody's got to flinch first you know what i mean somebody's got to like blink first
1: do you think that this is like a new thing or i mean because there were always oh, rules about exactly. you know when you could call someone's answering machine and how long the what the message was sure, um, right how right long the, should
3: you wait right sure uh-huh
1: so absolutely
3: I, yeah, you're, you know, you're definitely right, Zach. I think, you know, it's, there's always, there's, well, not always, but maybe there's been, there's been different versions of this all along, right? You know, when I, when I, listen to me, when, I'm so old. When I went to college, <laughs> and, and, yes, you know, I'm so well, When, so old, when was that? When, uh, all right, Zach, fine. I'm just Honestly, <laughs> okay. sure. give people context. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Zach. Thanks a lot.
1: You're okay, welcome. So
3: when I went to college in the late 80s, thank you, we had this too, but we called them one-night stands or scooping somebody. And scooping? You, you know, people were doing it too, but when we talked about it at brunch Sunday morning in the cafeteria at school, you were sort of sheepish about it you were sort of, like, wondering if it was okay to talk about it, and you sort of floated the topic and then saw how your friends responded, and if they said, oh, tell us the story, oh, ha, 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 this is funny, then you thought, okay, this is all right. But if they kind of looked at you, like, wow, that's yeah. pretty And now it's, weird. like, the opposite. Right, you
0: you go out of your it's way. Now
3: opposite. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Now... You have to feel sheepish if you don't participate. You have to come up with a reason or an excuse not to participate. It's become a dominant social script rather than a, a social script that's parallel to dating. And I talked to, to young alums you know, B C alums in their twenties and thirties who were saying, Wow, yeah, I the part of the part of the damage that we were referring to earlier is that, gosh, I get out of college and or you know, into my young adult young professional work life and I don't know how to date and I don't know how to be courageous in that area of my life
0: yeah so uh, what I love about from what I've learned about your class is that there are uh, plenty of people like looking at millennials and analyzing our dating lives and sex lives but your response
3: (laughs) 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 um
0: but you didn't you're not just like like writing about it you actually in your class like have made it a practicum of dating uh you you you, you make it a requirement that before uh students finish your class they actually have to ask someone on a date in person not over text and go on a date
3: so when i first taught when i first uh assigned this in a class it was a capstone a senior capstone seminar and it was a one credit pass fail capstone class, so it there. There, this was not high stakes uh, assignments, and students were actually really receptive to the idea. So now I mostly teach uh, in a freshman great books program, and I don't make it mandatory because for freshmen that's a that's that's a tough sell. And so I make it an extra credit option, but every freshman needs extra credit, so, <laughs> so they, and they pretty much all try the dating assignment because they. They sort of encourage each other, and by the time I assign this in class, they've been studying together and working together for more than a semester, and they really want to all try it together. So I realized, oh, there's something up here. Like the social script of dating is so far gone, it's in such decline that they don't even know how to do this. So that was when I wrote up the assignment and handed it out and made it mandatory for those seniors and gave them a time frame, you know, not just a sort of do this by the end of the semester. I sort of gave them two weeks. Here's the thing. Yeah, ask the person out in person. It should be 45 minutes to 90 minutes long. Daytime date, no alcohol, no physical interaction, but an A-frame hug at the end, etc. So, <laughs> yes. Then they have to come back to class and talk about it with each other. And write a reflection about it.
0: Do you serve the students mimosas while, while they're talking oh. <laughs> about their dates?
3: <laughs> oh, now that I'd really get fired for. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know, it is really funny when they talk to each other about it. They really root for each other which is great
0: yeah so you, you gave us like the basics of your scripts like how how long the date should be and how to hug um but what are like some more specific tools that you try to give your students to make them oh that's
3: a great question capable? yeah you know what actually so yeah so i have i think sort of nine or ten basic requirements of the date about you know how long it should last when it should be i have, i often say to them it shouldn't preferably it shouldn't be a weekend on a weekend day because that signals something really uber serious Mm. so keep it you know a weekday thing keep it short keep it during the day this is not like a late night you know candlelit dinner there's too much pressure there and there's too much you just don't want to signal some big wow i think i might love you and want to marry you You (laughs) that's that's the stuff you want to stay away from but then my students have really asked over the years Okay, so somebody's gonna go on a date with me on Tuesday. What do I talk about? And so we've talked about you know, okay, what are what are the rules about how to how to reveal parts of yourself but not too much, you know, not so much that you're scaring people away. But mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows don't talk about religion and politics on a first date. But what what do you talk about? <laughs> That's you know, where I went wrong <laughs> all those times. <laughs> said as soon as she saw the dating assignment she said oh my gosh this is where I was going wrong I was going on these eight hour first dates which (laughs) that's just terrible right because you know as I say to students if the date's going well get out of there as close to one hour as possible because then you leave the person with the desire to they want more (laughs) leave them wanting more exactly and and I say, you know, have three questions ready to go. But not more than three because then you just turn into an interviewer, you know. There's nothing wrong with being an interviewer. You three <laughs> are. But, you know, like, you don't want to just interrogate somebody, right? And you you need to know how, how you want to present yourself.
0: I'm curious what how you think about, uh, like, o- online dating apps.
3: Is this Ashley who asked Yeah. It? Um, Ashley, did you want to talk about this? A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Well, here's the thing. So when I talk to... Do I have to use Catholic
0: Match or can I use Tinder?
3: (laughs) Yeah, right. There's the question. Okay, good. Good question, Ashley. Excellent. You know what? At first, I was sort of wigged out by it, you know, because I thought, wow, I just, it seems like, you know, people just seem like they're just swiping out of boredom. It's just like the board swipe. And... But in some ways, I actually think now it's a really good thing. It's a, it's a tool that lots of people are using, and it shows me and hopefully you all that you want to date. You know, you want to meet people. You, you want to figure this out. I think the ubiquity of these apps means that people want to figure this out, and they want some help, and then these things make it easier. So I say go for it. But everybody knows what they're up against in it, right, which is just, you know people are just trying to meet you to get with you you know and but again that to me is a good tool like if it, it's going to force you to figure out what it is you really want
1: yeah and i feel like i don't know that technology in so many ways has like made like a lot of things in life easier but yeah at the end of the day like dating will always be messy and relationships are always really difficult and it's yeah that will always be true no matter what the app is
2: so what about if you're what if you're catholic because sometimes it's hard to bring up these your faith on a first date? Like what advice do you give students when it comes to speaking about their faith on these dates?
3: Students often ask me about dating people of other faiths. And I I always say, go for it, (laughs) go for (laughs) it, date Date anybody you have a really authentic question about, you know what I mean? I think you should date people because dating is not always about friendship and soulmates. It's about friendship and finding out about the world and yourself and, and the beauty of other people. Um, I, have also had students ask me, you know, should I date if I'm thinking about religious life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I say, yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. I think dating is also part of really good discernment about who I am and what, what, what God is calling me to. But I also think you have to sort of be upfront about that. I mean, and uh, young adults, your generation. Your generation. You're
0: <laughs>
1: Tell you're us.
3: So, you're very, you're very rightly a- allergic to hypocrisy and the idea of you know students really balk a lot at at the idea of using somebody right. Like so, students will say to me, "But if I'm if I'm thinking about the priesthood, isn't that you know?" And you're saying I should. This is part of my discernment. Isn't that kind of using somebody? And I say, well, yeah. If you if 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 being in relationship with people and reaching out to people and getting to know people is using people, you know, to a certain degree, yeah, of course, we need other people to help us find out who we are and what, what the world's about. And, but you should always try to be as upfront as possible about, you know, what you're after. And if you're looking for serious, a serious relationship, you should be as upfront about that as possible without scaring somebody off. And dating is how you figure out how to do that.
1: I thought quite a bit about uh, religious life in the priesthood and Mm -hmm. I was explaining to this seminarian who, when I was studying abroad in Rome, uh, who was like a couple years from being ordained a priest and Mm -hmm. I was talking about my most recent breakup and saying something about how I was super virtuous and I was very upfront with her from the very beginning and I always have been with girls about, you know, this is something I'm thinking about. And he just like listens to me and I'm ready for him to affirm me. And (laughs) instead he just goes, have you ever considered that you haven't had an authentic relationship with a young woman because you always put them on guard by telling them you're thinking about the priesthood? (laughs) (laughs) And it hit me like a sack of bricks. Um, (laughs) You're like, No,
0: please affirm me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But it's like it's a real challenge to like be Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open and vulnerable and hey, that's
3: what why trying to act to actively date so that you can date well, so that you can so that you can learn how to relate to people well. I mean, that's a really good insight if God had been calling you to the priesthood, and you—I don't know where you are on that, Zach. But like, <laughs> if you became a—if you became a priest, you know, having having done that with women you were dating, and having had that question posed to you, would make you, I would think, as a priest, very uh, uh, able to pay close attention to h- how you sort of front load your your clerical status. You know what I mean, like. I know a lot of priests who, who sort of kind of live their lives sort of as very much as priest first. And here I am as father, you know, so-and-so in the, in my relationship with you and other men who are, who kind of lead with friendship and, you know, sort of we're on equal footing in our faith journeys. And, and I am a priest in that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, those are all great questions to be asking ourselves. Zach,
0: I, and- Zach, I was on the other side. Of that.
1: Oh, yeah? <laughs> I, Tell me more.
3: Yeah, no,
0: and uh, the, I, I uh, quote, unquote, hooked up with a guy who then was, <laughs> like, had a, like, crisis afterwards, was like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I want to become a priest, and then ran away from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now he's, like, living in a monastery in California. <laughs> right, right,
3: right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I dated somebody. I dated somebody, too, and at one point I had to say to him, you know, I think you're you're really, you really need to, we need to break up so that you can do the real work of the discernment of the priesthood. And we did, and, and he did, and that was, you know, that was important. And it was hard, you know, it was really difficult.
1: How does the church play into this? How does the church form young people in a way that teaches them to have healthy relationships, uh, Because I I come from a perspective of someone being scarred from chastity talks in high school, in college. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't think they were... A a lot of it's like scare tactic and... um, Yeah. Makes you obsess over scruples and uh, all kinds of stuff. And it's not like... How to go on a date would have been pretty helpful. I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. not just the usual don't have sex before marriage, no condoms kind of thing, like actually teaching us right. how to, you know.
3: I'm really wary of church talk about purity and chastity that, that makes the church and church teaching on sexuality easily dismissible, mm. and that is really dangerous. That's a, that's a dangerous thing to, to make church teaching seem just really irrelevant just because then it, it, the beautiful parts of church teaching on love and, uh, and sexuality and relationships gets lost, you know. This is a hyper-sexualized culture, and it's a culture where people aren't getting the kind of, the, the moral authority of the church and the moral authority of large institutions, even, you know, the cultural traditions are, are sort of lost. So I think people really feel adrift. I think young adults feel really adrift and they're not sure that there's enough moral authority in the church right now and and relevant things that the church is saying to to listen in. I'm afraid of that.
2: Carrie, thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners will totally enjoy this interview. But one final question before we wrap up. If you could canonize canonize anyone, living or dead, (laughs) Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be?
3: Bernard Lonergan, who is a great, Uh, jesuit uh, philosopher and theologian who um who is unknown to a lot of people so i'm going for bernard lonergan okay he's fantastic everybody should study him but then i'm also going to go for (laughs) both of my grandmothers
2: (laughs) nice nice.
3: dang like those women knew some stuff about faith and about justice and warmth and love so i'm going for all three
0: awesome Thank you so much you guys, for joining it, us, Carrie. This was wonderful. It was
3: really fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. First, we got an email from Christy Steinman in Egan, Minnesota. Uh, She sent us a really nice, lovely email, um, and in part of it, she said, You've given me a lot to think about and discuss with my husband, who isn't Catholic, but attends Mass with me every week, who I met online, in case you need any info for your online dating episode. Uh, So we just had that episode, so hopefully some of that was helpful for people who are looking for for a match online.
1: Yeah, success stories are always good. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that last conversation we had, Anthony from Twitter wants to know if Dr. Cronin's advocacy for students going on dates is just a big kickback scheme with big coffee and big ice cream.
0: Hmm. All right. Anyone in B- send, Boston College, let us know. Send
1: uh, <laughs> Yeah. Student journalists in. Break that case.
0: Um, all right. Time for consolations and desolations. The part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. Zach, what do you have?
1: so this past sunday uh this often happens in the summer where uh i was at mass and i was really excited that uh i saw the priest that was up i was like yes i love his homilies and then i was sitting behind a pillar and i couldn't tell that but there was a missionary who had come to ask for money during the homily so i was like no and he appeared from behind the pillar and went up to the ambo um sorry podium um and he was actually, he had he was uh, rector of a minor seminary in Ghana, and he was very brief, which was big plus, but also, <laughs> like, um, had a great message and a very clear ask, and so thankful for that, but it was also different for me this time. I normally hate these and zone out, but having just been in China, I was visiting seminaries like this that are, you know, low on resources, but big on faith, and, you know, they're living out Uh, their Catholicism in really creative ways. And listening to this rector from Ghana, which, you know, the church is facing uh, very different circumstances there, but even still, I felt more connected to, you know, the global church, you know. Having been at the seminary in China, listening to this priest from Ghana talking to me in Brooklyn um, was kind of a really cool experience. And so my consolation was feeling uh part of like feeling the body of christ in a new and present way what do you got ashley
0: so i have a desolation which is kind of a holdover desolation <laughs> but it has stuck with me um so a couple weeks ago i mentioned uh the mermaid parade i hosted my sister and a couple of her friends at my apartment and then once that whole event was wrapped up i went to the 6 p.m mass at my church uh And I hadn't been there in a while just because of a lot of summer travel and during the mass they mentioned that there was going to be a young adult gathering afterwards, just some like simple wine and cheese. And I'd been a part of the committee that like planned these a year ago and I hadn't been to one. And I was like sitting there, I was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm just going to talk to some people. But I was also like, I'm so wiped out from this weekend and I'm an introvert and I just want to go home. But I told myself as I was sitting in the pew, I'm going to go. And then I got to the back of the church and there was like a split second where like the people hosting it were tied up with someone else. And I was like, ah, there's my out. And I just like sprinted down the (laughs) chair. And I like got to the subway and I was like, oh, I feel so terrible. But I didn't go back. And it's just hard for someone who is introverted to know where to draw the line between being introverted and taking care of yourself and just being selfish with your time like I could have stayed for 15 minutes and talked to people but at the moment it sounded like home was the better option (laughs) 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 so yeah I, I guess the desolation is how to divide up my time in a healthy way and not knowing where what what god wants me to do in that situation yeah Yeah, me or giving my time to me or to other people
1: yeah and i mean that's like a source of community too and it's hard it's desolating to see that as like a time suck and not a place of fulfillment
2: all right what do you have olga um so i've got a consolation this week um so a few episodes back i can't even keep count now i talked about like the anxieties that i face when it comes to this idea that I have of how like a proper Christian or a proper Catholic needs to behave. So I put a lot of pressure on myself and then feel like, oh, I'm not doing what my coworkers are doing. I'm not doing with all these priests. I'm not praying enough. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. But one of the routines I've gotten into because my boyfriend Enoch is Protestant, so they're very into Bible reading. um, So we've kind of like created a bible study agenda on google docs so that's my number one consolation Um, (laughs) i have done it he has he has not he has judged me but i love google docs so whatever um so we've like laid out a plan and we've been following it for like three days now um and last night we were reading acts and it just really felt like you know it's the first moment where i'm like okay i'm having this time that i'm setting aside with god where i'm engaging with the bible and then i'm like having a conversation with this person that i care about um and that was really consoling because I often just think, oh, I'm not doing it right. And in that moment, it was like, who cares? Like, just immerse yourself. I was just happy I the-
1: didn't, you know, hate myself while a missionary <laughs> from Ghana was asking me for money. <laughs> 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 Which, yeah, what are you- <laughs> little victories. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but that was super consoling. And it was something that's simple. Like, you just have to sit down and do it yourself. So it made me feel like. I'm being proactive about my time, my prayer life, and just my time with God, so. That's lovely. Thank you, guys.
0: Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. And I think it's fair to say Eloise Blondio. She helped us out this week. Adult Supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Research help from Emma Winters, Jack McCordick, and Anna Marchese. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And please, we haven't really, like, made a hard ask for this in a while, but do leave a review on iTunes. That's we don't have the one best in July. Way. I just checked. Yeah. Super so, vain of me. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's the best way for other people to find us if you, like, boost our iTunes rating. So you can find us on iTunes. And you can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura. We'll see you next week.